Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. Meet me this morning in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want to read into your hearing start a new series today, and uh, I'm going to look at some passages that highlight God's miraculous way of supplying as we trust him with what he's given to us. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 6, when you got it, you can say, I got it. Or if not, it's on the screen there. It says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. It's an important line in verse 4. Now the Passover. Feast of the Jews was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, <laughs> said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that this crowd can eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Not even for everyone to have a small bite. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. And just the men numbered 5,000. Now, if you know it's 5,000 men at church, you can only imagine how many women and children were there. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. Um, well, let me finish the pericope. Verse 13 says, So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14 is not on the screen, but it's in the text. It says, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This morning, here's a little boy who offers up his little lunch. And Jesus takes his little and leaves leftovers. I want to look at the story of this little boy with a little lunch who gives it to Jesus and leaves it with leftovers. I know what economists are predicting. I want to put a little meat on our bones this morning if I can. I want to tag this text in our exchange, how to make it on a little. You may be seated. I want to talk from the thought, how to make it on a little. Gracious God, our Father, we do honor you today again, and we pray that you will grant us listening ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. I pray that you will grant me power to preach, clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart that I may tell the truth this morning, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Thank you for your people coming this rainy September Sunday morning, finding parking wherever they could, being glad when it was said to them, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now speak, Lord. Your church is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Economists are predicting on the hills of inflation and on this 
leg of the pandemic, that we might be headed for another recession. I don't know how that makes you feel, but to make matters worse, those who study, study the global economy and the global world say that we're also headed for a global food crisis. I read in the May 17 edition, uh, or the May 18 edition of The Economist magazine, that the grain shortage is about to threaten a third of the world's supply. Ukraine and Russia together produce some 30% of the world's grain, 30% of the world's barley, large portions of corn, and even 75% of the traded sunflower oil. All together, those calories are enough to feed 400 million people. But because this war is raging on, and the little man with the big ego wants to snatch a land to himself, we are on the precipice of another food crisis. And the economists are asking, where can we go to buy bread? that these may eat. You know, that's the line that reverberates through the corridors of human history. From The Economist magazine all the way to the time today, people are asking, where can we buy bread that these may eat? We know of other food crises, don't we? There was the Great Famine of Finland in 1696 that wiped out a third of their population. I read of another famine this week in 1942 in Henan, China, that not wiped out some two million people. And, and, and yet, famine and food crises are not a present problem. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? I'm so hungry I can eat an elephant. Maybe you, like I, wanted to know where that came from. In the siege of Paris in 1870, this kind of uh, Franco-Prussian War. Uh, the city was tightly shut up and there was no commerce coming in and out and the food supply ran so short that people started eating whatever animals they could find roaming the street. The wealthy were able to hire butchers and chefs to pull away rare pieces of meat to give to them. But even in their money, the supply was running so low that the Paris Zoo figured that they could offer their animals to the wealthy. <laughs> you should read the menu when you get a chance. One of the items on the menu was consomme de elephant. I know that grosses you out, but I can tell that's because you ain't never really been hungry. You see, because when you've been hungry, you'll eat whatever's there. And they came up with the phrase after eating that elephant, I'm so hungry, I can eat an elephant. And the government of France was trying to figure out in their food crises, where can we buy bread <laughs> that these may eat? Here I think in John chapter 6 this morning is the food crises of all. This, friends, is a collection of people, more mouths to feed than bread to buy more women and children to nourish than grocery stores in proximity. There was no super Walmart, no Trader Joe's, no Whole Foods, wherever you highfalutin people eat. Uh, there was no Walmart, or, or when I was growing up, no Aldi. Y'all know Trader Joe's owns Aldi, don't you? That's a whole nother conversation for a different day. Just a bunch of hungry people who came to hear Jesus preach. And in this moment where these hungry people. The Bible says in verse 1 that after these things, after Jesus had given a witness of John and a witness of his work and a witness of his father and then a witness of the scripture, saying that, that you all love the Bible more than you love the one the Bible points to. You, you are so in love with the scriptures that you forget that the scriptures point to me. Jesus is mesmerizing the crowds. People are seeing things in his ministry, Mike, that they've never seen before. And so when he walks off, they go to follow him. They have been watching his signs of turning water into wine, of healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. They have watched him raise the government official's child. 
And so they've seen enough that they actually want to follow Jesus. I don't know that this is commitment. I think this is curiosity. Jesus to them is a kind of miracle-working bread messiah. And, and, and even scholars suggest, not even in this patriarchal culture, that the women were not important, but they were counting the men because according to the rules of guerrilla warfare, maybe these men were showing up to say, we ready to move with you, man. If you want to take Rome on, we're ready to go with you. They saw in Jesus something specific. After these things, Jesus says, I'm going to go up to the mountain with my buddies, with my disciples, rather those who I'm teaching, and I'm going to have some alone time with them. When he peers over the side of the cliff and sees the masses coming up to him. Can you all see that in your mind's eye? Jesus is human. He's tired. He's resting, reclining on the side of the grassy hill, and here comes the masses. Now they're coming to sit at his feet, but the time of the day in which they come suggests that they have traveled through the morning, and soon lunchtime will be upon them, and he can't send them home hungry. Some of the children may faint along the way. the, The oppressive heat may grab them, and they're in such large number that the marketplaces will not satisfy them. So Jesus asks Philip a question. It's ironic, maybe, suggestive, perhaps, that Jesus asks Philip this question. Philip is from this region around the Sea of Galilee, the only disciple to emerge from the area of Tiberias. Philip, you know where Super Walmart is. Where are they that we can buy sufficient bread that these may eat? Now you hear that question, and you'd be tempted to suspect that Jesus is talking economics. Where, where, where is the money? The reason we know that, that we can think that this is mere economics is because Philip answers the question economically. If we had 200 denarii, listen to what Philip says, eight months' wages, if we had 200 denarii, what's that? To feed these people, everybody here wouldn't even get a bite off of eight months' salary. I'm trying to heighten this tension to explain to you this is, a, this is a major catastrophe that they are upon. This is a striking story. And, and there's another disciple, though, who's got a tad bit more faith than Philip. Says, well, well, there is a child here, a little lad, who, who has two fish and five loaves. But, but what is that uh, uh, among so many? See, Jesus was not asking the question of economics. I want you to hear me today. Whenever you are in a predicament where your back is up against the wall, where your demand is greater than your supply, where your need is heavier than what you have, you need to know Jesus is not asking you the economic question. But the challenge is many of us always answer Jesus with economics first. When Jesus wants to do something, you start looking at how much you got to get it done. Nobody asked you how much you got. Jesus didn't ask, how much money do we need to feed these people? He asked, where? I'm preaching better than y'all saying I'm not. Where can we get the bread? You see, the question ain't about money. It's about location and power. Jesus is not asking about a resource. He's pointing to a source. I ought to pull up for a moment to tell somebody, your problem ain't never been your resources. Your problem has never been how much money you need to get through college, how much money you need to buy a house, how much money you need to get anywhere. Your problem has never been a problem of resources. It's always been a question of who is your source? You see, your bed may be made by Sealy Posturepedic, but the source of your rest comes from heaven above. Your entertainment may come from watching Serena in the U.S. Open, but your happiness don't come from a tennis match. It comes from the Lord. It has never been about resources. It has always been about the source. Look at this. We got a boy here. That little boy offers up his lunch. Two sardines. And five mini biscuits from Popeye's. Y'all know I got a vivid imagination. Just permit me, if you will. Uh, my grandmama used to eat sardines. That's, I don't imagine these were big bass. When me and Charlie went fishing the other week. We caught a, a bass, one between three of us. I told him, Deacon Barry, that's why they call it fishing, not catching. We were, 
we were fishing, but we caught one. They, that, that little boy didn't have a, a, a big catfish or bass to hold up. He had two little pickled fish, two little sardines, and five little mini biscuits from Popeye's. But can I tell y'all something here today? When you trust Jesus with the little bit that you have, he can multiply it in a way that meets the needs of the many and leaves enough left over for you too. I, I want to say it one more time, then I'm going to simplify. When you take your little and put it in the hands of Jesus, he can multiply it so that it can do more than you ever could. And when he's done, it'll be enough left over for you to enjoy. Can I say it in a simpler way? Y'all got to learn. We got to learn to put your bread in Jesus' hands. I know you got your mask on, but turn to your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, you got to learn to put it in his hands. You got to learn to put it in his hands. I'm telling you now, somebody here today, you struggling with putting something in Jesus' hands because your fist is so tightly wrapped around it. Help me, Holy Ghost. Can I begin? I just want to point out to you basically three words in this text. I, I know there's more to preach, but I'm trying to get you to loosen your grip. In, in case these economists are correct that we headed for a recession, I'm trying to help you to make it through. How you can make it. Can I tell you how you can make it? Listen now, friends. You can make it by realizing who your source is. This, this is a word about the real need. Get, I'm trying to get you to open your hands. L li listen now. The text says in verse 4, this was the time of the Passover. That doesn't mean anything to some of you because unfortunately you spend more time reading the newspaper than you do the good news of God's word. This is why you want to read God's word. This is why you want to sit in it and let it speak to you. Can I tell you, this is not a, uh, a sideline kind of note. The grass is green in this text. It's the springtime. It is uh, March or April. It's the it's one of the three Passover mentions in the Gospel of John. There was one other in chapter 2 where Jesus says uh, something about the temple. You destroy the temple, look, I'm going to raise it up. There's another mention in John 11, roundabout verse 55, as we're introduced to the crucifixion of Jesus, where, where he is talking about his own provision and his own body that, that will be shed. This is the second of the two Passover mentions, and it doesn't mean anything to you if you don't remember that the Passover is a major feast in the history of the children of Israel, you, you might remember that the children of Israel were delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. And when they were going to be delivered, the Lord instituted a memory-making moment for them. Said to them, I want you to sit down and eat this meal. Some unleavened bread, some bitter herbs, just, just some bread broken. And, and he said, at, at this time when you sit down to eat, I want you uh, to take the blood. Uh, of an animal and, and wipe it on the doorpost and, and this will preach. I'm trying not to preach it. And, and when the death angel comes through, because I'm going to judge Egypt, but if you ain't trusting me enough to cover yourself in the blood, my judgment's going to get you too. He, he, he said, the judgment of Egypt will not discriminate against the judgment of Israel without the blood. You, you got to cover the doorpost with the blood. Some of y'all are trying to figure out what all of the stuff going on in Chicago and around the world, that judgment will get you too if you ain't covered by the blood. And the Bible says that there were people, Brother Leon, watch this, there were people who trusted the Lord enough to actually go put blood on their doorpost. Whoever thought about putting blood on a doorpost. How odd was that? They, they wiped that blood over that doorpost. But can I tell y'all what happened that night? That night, that death angel came sweeping through the fields of Egypt, came looking and listening, uh, taking out the firstborn male child in all of the homes. There was one thing that that death angel respected. He did not respect money. He did not respect economy. He did not respect political access. He did not respect celebrity. He did not respect power. There was one thing that angel was looking for. The only thing that that angel respected is the same thing that God respects in your life. It's called the blood. 
And when that angel saw that blood, he just passed over. I'm trying to tell y'all in here today, this is a feast of deliverance. They are reminded that God is able to pull you out of some stuff that's been holding you down. God is able to make you free. And every year, they celebrated this deliverance with the feast. They sat down to eat. We like to eat too. They celebrated it with the feast. But this time, according to Dr. Bill Jones, <laughs> there was a famine at the feast. Not enough food at the Passover feast. I think Jesus and John are marking this because the mark is not so much chronological as it is theological. I, I think that this happens not just in the sequence of time, but I think it is suggestive of the power and the person of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm the real deliverer here. That, that, that your greatest need falls exhausted at the feet of my greatest supply. Friends, can I tell y'all something this morning? Because some of y'all are living here. You don't even realize you're living here in John chapter 6. Your problem, your lack of capacity is God's opportunity. I think if you and I actually believe what I just said, we stop falling apart at everything that happens. And I realize your greatest need isn't physical. Your greatest need is for the Lord. Because when you got the Lord, he will supply all of your needs. And that's what I think Jesus was getting at. The, the text says very clearly here, he says, now Jesus asked the, these questions in verse 6, it says, to test them. Because he knew what he was going to do. Je Jesus says, uh, where can we buy bread that these may eat? You know what I think Jesus is looking for? The same thing he's looking for from me and you today. I only got eight minutes to lay this down. I need y'all to catch me. He's, he's looking for the same thing in us that he was looking for from Philip. Philip was there when he turned water into wine. Of four chapters ago. He was there when he healed the government official's child. That was two chapters ago. He was there when he healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. That was one chapter ago. So when Jesus looks at your impossibility and says, what are we going to do? He's not asking you. To come up with what we going to do. What he's looking for is have you pieced together the story of your past enough to know that the size of your problem that you're looking at has a solution that's looking at you. Help me, Lord God. I'm trying to preach this the best way I can. What I'm saying to somebody here today is, listen to me. Stop looking at the size of your problem and realize that the solution is looking to you. Jesus is saying, haven't we been through enough? All right, y'all ain't with me here yet. Let me just cut across the field and get right to you. How many times does God have to show you that he can meet your needs so that the next time you have a need, you ain't falling apart, worrying, holding yourself, trying to figure out how that need's going to get met? How many times does God have to show you that he satisfies you so that the next time you're lonely, you don't have to call pretty Ricky, Bobby, or Tony, or Mary to satisfy you? You got a track record. Is there anybody here? that's got a track record with God? Is there any, no, I'm, I'm pausing for station identification. Is there anybody here that has lived long enough to see God supply whatever you need, material and immaterial, that his record is good with you? What God is looking for is faith. I listen to some of you, I know you, I talk to you, and I hear you cry and lament. sometimes on the phone I look at you and I just say now I've been here long enough with you I remember three times 
of you in here. God done prayed with you. Now, now the question is, will you grow up in faith? This is what Jesus is saying to Philip. But I love, I love how Andrew comes through. Andrew comes through and he says, hey, hey, we got a lad here who's got a little lunch. But, but what is this among so many? And, and Jesus says, get the people to sit down. trying not to shout myself. I'm so glad to remember that when I have no clue how to solve my problem, that Jesus already knows what he's about to do to solve my problem. If I'm honest with you, I've pastored the church long enough to tell you there have been some challenges where I didn't know how we were going to get over the hurdle. But I've lived long enough to know that, that God is able to, to exceed, not just meet, but to exceed our, our great need. This, this little boy comes, he says, sit him down, sit him down. I love this now, I love this now. Because the text says there was a lot of grass and they numbered about 5,000 and he took the load and he gave thanks to the Father. That's the implication of the original language. He didn't bless the food. He blessed the Father. Let's just do that. One takeaway from today's sermon. Stop asking people, will you bless the food? Instead, ask somebody at the table, will you bless the Father? I could preach this if I had a church. I promise you I could. Because as long as you bless the giver, as long as you recognize he's the supplier, he will always see to it that you have what you need. Now, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. I'm cut across the field. Listen to me now. The only way this crowd gets fed and this little boy sees this miracle is that his two fish and five loaves have to get out of his hand into the hand of the Father. This is where I'm finishing my sermon and where I'm, I'm, I hope I don't lose half of you. The only way you're going to experience, you, 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 the, me, the only way you're going to experience, I'm going to experience the miraculous in our lives is that it's got to get out of our hands into his hands. Just a few moments. We're going to do what we do every week. We're going to give. And the challenge with some of you, I'm, I'm helping you. you now, you shouting on everything else. But I'm, I'm helping you with this. If your fists are so tight around what's in your wallet, you will never experience the miraculous. Now, now, let me move past the money because some of y'all ain't, ain't there yet. Let me talk to you parents. As long as your fists are so tightly around them kids, you trying to protect them, trying to help them, trying to make them like you God and they your subjects. You will not see the miraculous happen. You better learn how to put them kids and grandkids in the hands of God. Y'all ain't in here yet with me. Let me come a little further, because I know you I know you educated people here at Progressive. I, I know where y'all are. I, I know you in here. Uh, some of y'all so tightly wound up about your career, your, your, your butt cheeks so tightly squeezed together. <laughs> That's good imagery, isn't it? Ooh! You want to make something happen so bad in life, that you squeezing the life out of your own professional life. If you would learn to let that thing go into the hands of God. Did y'all hear me in here? God can do more with your little than you can with your life. Ask Steph Curry. I, I didn't mean to go here. But you know, Steph Curry didn't even get recruited by the big schools. They, 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 he went to Davidson and, and small, scrawny little kid. UNC didn't even want him. Nobody saw the greatness in him. But, but that little bit that he had went in the hands of Davidson and the rest of the world saw him take down Georgetown. Now he is the best shooter in the NBA because your little really can become much. That didn't get you. Let me try this one. In India, there's a secret to trapping monkeys. Did you know this? I watched the old colonial video. Y'all know how that, how that happens? How does it happen? Y'all know, how does it happen? 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so they put they put out these little jars of, or canisters and, and they fill it with fruit or candy or whatever. And, and the monkeys like the fruit and the candy. So what they do is they go in. It's so simple. And they put their hand in there and they get it. But it's a tighter hole at the top and a wider basin at the bottom that, that they cannot extract their hand out of the canister unless they let go of what's in their hand. These are some of the most intelligent creatures in the animal kingdom. But they get caught because they can't let go. Who am I preaching here to today? You, you holding on to your own demise and destruction. And, and, and watch this. They get trapped. They get caught when their freedom is in their own hand. And they get taken off by people when if they would just let it go. I, I'm looking at you. There's more freedom for you if you let go. The, the, some, some of us are trying to make a deal with God. I'll do this much if you do that much. Can I tell you this? God don't want this much. He wants it all. I find it instructive that it's a little boy, Kiersey, who, who actually gives up his lunch. I thought about Charlie and Claire as I was putting this together because a little boy has more faith than them grown disciple people. Uh, he, can you imagine how that conversation with the disciples went? Hey, hey man, what's that? And Andrew said, he said, oh, man, I'm about to eat. He said, you going to eat in front of all of us? You see all of these people? He said, man, hey, I this for me? He, he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't eat that just yet. Uh, Jesus been asking about food, if we got any. And I know it ain't much, but, but would you mind showing it to him? He, he said, Jesus? He said, you, you, you mean I get to meet Jesus? The, the, the guy we came here for who, who say that wedding? The, 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 the guy who raised the dead son? I, I get to... He said, you, you promise me you ain't taking my food? He says, no, man, it's going to Jesus. All right. Can you see that little boy getting himself together? As they're walking him to see Jesus. And, and he comes and he said, what do you have? He says, I, I don't have much. I got, I got two, two little fish and five barley loaves. But, but, but I heard about what you did at that wedding in Cana. When, when they didn't have no wine, they, they said, you looked at the water and the water turned into wine. I know it's not much. But, but I believe you can do something with it. And, and, and watch Jesus as, as he prays and he breaks it, the other gospel writers say, and he multiplies it and he feeds everybody. Can you imagine what that boy felt that day? He looked up and said, my lunch fed all of these people. But it would have never happened if he left it in his hands. And I tell y'all, our church has some big ministry on the horizon. But it won't happen if you leave it in your hands. What can happen then, Pastor Charlie? They feed everybody. John is the writer. This, by the way, shows up in all four Gospels. John is the writer who says that this went uh, from Jesus. Jesus served and fed everybody. Are y'all with me here? Look, look at me. Are y'all with me here? He, he, he fed everybody. And when he got done feeding everybody, they had, Deacon Nash, 12 baskets left over. Y'all ain't ready. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. They had 12 baskets left over. You know, you know what that means? That means this little boy's lunch was enough to satisfy everybody and then to have some left over when lunch was over. Because, because Jesus always does more than what you ask. His name is Chuck Finney. And I'm in my seat. His name is Chuck Finney. And he started or founded the duty-free stores. You, you ever been in an airport? Some of y'all need to go farther than Gary. I keep telling you. you 
get into an airplane, go somewhere. These duty-free stores are these tax-free stores in these airports. They sell luxury items, jewelry, liquor, maybe, I don't know, um, <laughs> local treats from, from the area. He and a partner started the duty-free store. Business started to go so well in the 60s that he saw the trajectory of his wealth. And he and his wife decided that they were going to die broke. That they weren't going to wait until the end of their lives to have their fortune assigned to a foundation. But that they were going to give it while they were living. He gave away, Chuck Finney did, $8 billion, B as in boy, while he was alive. The more he gave, the more came back, and the more he gave. That don't mean nothing to you until you recognize that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates got a hold of that. And they said, why are we waiting till we die to give away this wealth? And they went to billionaires around the world and said, if Chuck Finney could do it, we can give it while we're living. And people have signed a pledge to give, and watch this, those singular gifts have altered the landscape of the world because they found out that more could be done when it was given away. I'm here today to tell you, you might not have Warren Buffett money. I ain't got it. You might not have Chuck Finney dollars. But can't you appreciate that giving while I'm living? so I can see what God will do. He's affected climate change. He's brought food and science. He helped bring peace to Northern Ireland. He got to see it while he was living. And I don't want to just die and hope that what I have goes to some people who may or may not do. I want to see God do something great with what I got. Are y'all in here with me today? I said, are y'all in here with me today? I want to see while I'm living God do something great. When you trust it to the Lord, he always does more than enough. Well, well, where do you get that from? Well, there was a man who was whipped all night long one day. They pierced him in the side, Clayton. They put a crown of thorns upon his head, and he died. But as he was dying, there's this one line. It's amazing. Don't you think it's amazing that they put nails in his hands? That they put a spear in his side. Y'all think I just be saying this. Don't you think this is amazing? That they put a crown of thorn upon his hands. But they didn't cover his mouth. Don't you think that's amazing? That he's on the cross, as Pastor Jamal preached, and, and he's uttering these words from the cross. You know what one of those words is? He says, Father, into your hands. Help me, Lord. Now I'm done. I commit my spirit. And you say, what good could come from a dying man? giving his life to his father. I know y'all in here today, you, you don't think this matters, but, but in life and in death, God is worth trusting with all you got. And he gave up the ghost, the Bible says. And they laid him in a borrowed tomb. And he stayed dead because that's what dead people do. He was in that grave all night Friday, all day Saturday, all night Saturday night. But, but if y'all help me, I can do it. Can I tell you what happened before midnight and sunrise? Early, early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands because whatever you put in the hands of God, God always gives you more. Stand up on your feet, I'm done. You can make it on a little. Yes, you can. When you put the little you got into the hands of the Lord. And I tell you this, I promise you this. God will do more with your little to bless the masses and then leave leftovers when you're done. Now, now what's the point of all of this? The point of all of this is this invitation I'm giving. It was a sign. The Bible says that 
really, John has these repetition of signs. The, the, the Bible makes clear that this sign was done so that people would believe. If when I'm done preaching today, you don't believe, you've missed the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to get you to believe, to trust in Jesus. You know what I find out really striking? A lot of us trust Jesus more with our souls than we do our money. We do. No, I'm going to heaven. I know that. Yes, I know. The Bible say. But well, then why don't you trust him with your money too? Oh, I don't know about that. I, uh... let's, let's, let's reverse it. Let's, let's invert it. Let's make it right. He got enough power to get you to heaven and to keep you while you're on earth. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.